Well, if you uh, if you got your Bibles today, or if you access those on your phones, go into uh, go to Ephesians four. If you're not familiar with how to access uh, the Bible, we'll have most of the uh, scriptures on the screen for here for you here today. Let me just ask you a simple question. I know the answer to this question is already yes, but think of a think of one of those moments in your life you ever really come to a crossroads. Just a a moment in your life when you know that what you decide in this moment is going to change your life. What happens in this next decision will determine maybe where you go in the next months or years. I, I think back, we immediately probably think to many times like that. Like, I remember thinking the first time that I wanted to tell Katie that I loved her. Like, I, I made a command in my life that I would not tell a girl that I loved her uh, until I had determined that I was going to marry that person. And so in my mind, I knew the moment I said those words to Katie, it was going to impact my life for the future. Now, I did not say, I love you and will you marry me at the exact same time. That may have been a little overwhelming uh, for her, but I remember in that moment, we were sitting in a car in uh, the front of my parents' house. It was my house at the time, too, but I was sitting there and I was like, I want to tell her this. And And then I remember where I was when I finally decided to tell her that I did want to marry her and to ask her to marry. It was on her birthday, and uh, I was going to take her out to dinner and then come back and ask her uh, to marry me. And we went out to a, I was, I was a great date. I took her to a, a steak place because at this steak place, you got free steak on your birthday. And so, uh, so I'm like, what a, what a great date. Right. So, uh, like I couldn't even eat all my steak, which is, if you know me, like that is an oddity in my life. I love red meat. And I, I was so nervous. And we got back after that. And, uh, I'd gotten her this box. I kind of wrapped up things. And I, I remember in that moment, I was going to ask her to marry me. And what happened in that moment was going to change my life forever. Think about it with, with kids. When you decide to have kids, think about trying to decide where you're going to go to college or what you're going to do career-wise. There are these moments when you're just standing there and you know where I'm, what I'm deciding today is going to determine where I'm at for the next 10, maybe 20 years. But that's what we're going to talk about today out of Ephesians chapter 4. These moments that we come to and we kind of have to decide to choose one way or the other. And how do we begin to do that? Now, I want you to understand it's not just about these, these crossroads or not just these defining moments of understanding this way or that way. Sometimes we come to crossroads in our life. It's not about making a choice about which way to go, but choosing about how we're going to handle which way we're walking. Sometimes we come to a circumstance in our life and we can't avoid it. No matter what choice we make, sickness comes into our life. Unforeseen circumstances come barreling into who we are. And all of a sudden, we have to act differently. We have to think differently. And we have to approach things very differently than we ever had before. Another of Katie's birthday, this one wasn't so great. It was about eight years ago. We got a call that her dad was in a horrible accident, a surfing accident. We found out he broke his neck and later on that evening he passed away. It was a very different birthday than when I asked her to marry me, but it was one of those days that we had to decide we were at a crossroads. We couldn't do anything to change the circumstance we were facing in that day, but we could do something to decide how we were going to face those circumstances. And that's a different kind of crossroads we face. 
And so we're going to take this story and these teachings out of Ephesians 4 and learn how do we begin to make sure that we start moving in the right direction. Give you a, a quick background on what we've been teaching to this point. We're, we're in this series just going through the book of Ephesians called United. And in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, has been laying out this theological groundwork for what it means for you and me to have a relationship with God. The, the Christian word that we use for that is salvation. How do we experience salvation? How do we reconnect our lives with God? That's what he spends the first three chapters doing is laying this theological, factual understanding of what that is. But Paul is an amazing writer because he doesn't stop there. He spends the next three chapters now telling us how does that impact your life. If you actually do this, you actually plug your life back into God's, how is it going to impact you? And two weeks ago, we looked at the first type of movement that happens in our life when we said that the first kind of movement is this beautiful dance that he creates. When he says, move in a manner worthy of the gospel, it says at the beginning of Ephesians 4, and it, it's this idea that we're, we dance with God in purity. We dance with one another in unity, and we dance with the church, the body of Christ in community. And it's this idea of strapping our arms with somebody else and doing life together. It's this beautiful picture of what it means to walk out our salvation, to, to dance out our salvation. I love it. We, we learned that what it's like to begin to tap our feet, to sway to the music and to dance to the truth that God has changed our lives, that he has made my broken paths whole, that he has rescued me from spiritual darkness and given me new sight. He has taken me off the path of destruction and set me on the path of righteousness. He has loved me from my first day until today, and he has loved me at my best and at my worst. That's the beautiful dance that we learned about two weeks ago. This week, as we look at the second part of Ephesians 4, we're going to see this second move that, that Paul challenges us to take. And now it's not a dance. Instead, it's the second thing he calls us to begin to climb. It says dance with one another and dance with each other, but now it's start to climb. And it's not a not climbing up the corporate ladder. It's not climbing to get a better station in life. It's climbing to have a different perspective. One of the things I love when I travel outside of New York is flying back into New York. One, I just love coming home, but I love the view of the city from the air. I love the way the city looks from the air, especially at night. You can see the lights and you can see how the grid is really laid out. And that you just get this beautiful perspective. It looks like a toy model. And you're like, I can see my apartment, you know, as you're flying over. I, I, everybody posts pictures on Instagram, like my apartment and stuff. We just love that view. I love that higher perspective. I understand different things about the city when I see it from that perspective. And that's what Paul is challenging us to do. He's saying, look, stop living like you used to and instead climb up and get a different perspective on life and to begin to see things the way God sees them. We're going to start by looking at two verses. The first one is Ephesians 4, 17, and it says this. It says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in futility of their minds. In futility of their mind. He's saying no longer walk this way. He's saying let go of having futility of your minds. 
But then he tells us in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, a different way for us to walk. And this is what he says. Instead, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, now walk in love. He says, let go of futility and grab hold of love. Let go and grab hold. That's what he's challenging us to do today. And in these two verses, Paul tells us that when we experience salvation, it will change our perspective. It will change how we view life. You start moving up. You start seeing things as God sees them. And I want us to spend our day time today talking about these two perspectives. So let's look at this first idea of futility of mind. What does that mean? Like, that doesn't sound good. Like, you read that and you're like, I don't want to be futile of mind. Like, please, like, are you, t- is that how you describe me when I'm not around? Like, I don't want to be that. But do we really understand what that means? When we actually translate that and go back to what the original meaning was, it, it could be translated this meaningless thought, meaningless thought, give up meaningless thought. It's what he's saying. Paul's telling us, stop acting without thinking. Stop wasting our time and our resources by just doing the first thing that comes into our head. Just reacting. He's telling us to stop having a weak mind. Don't have a weak mind. What if we acted on every thought that came into our heads? Yeah, you, same thought, right? Oh my gosh, please no. Like, I remember I'd not been teaching for a lot. I'd been preaching one time. It was probably my fourth or fifth time preaching. I was, I was actually at New Salem Church over here where these guys are from, and they had this big pulpit. And uh, in the middle of teaching, I'm like, what if I just picked this thing up and threw in the audience? Like, where did that thought come from? I'm like, why in the world did that thought just pop in my head? And I'm so thankful that I did not act on that thought. Like, we've had those moments where it's just like these weird, random thoughts pop in our head. My brother's here this morning. A couple of years ago, uh, I guess five or six years ago now, we were all together for the 4th of July. And uh, we had this amazing thought, what if we acted like PJ blew his hand up with fireworks and came running in and scared everybody in our family? Well, we acted on this one. We chose not to to exercise. Uh, We we had weak minds. And uh, we grabbed, we smeared stuff on PJ's hand. We came running in and started screaming. Katie's in tears. My mom is freaking out places screaming and like already I'm thinking I'm not sure this is a good idea when my dad who some of you have met my dad he stands a big man when he can he can put his presence out there my dad never raises his voice unless he's very angry and he just said this better not be a joke and I was like oh and I, I just slowly sat PJ down Jay's like backing up in the back corner and I'm like, this is not a good situation. We, we were weak-minded. We were futile of mind that day. That is not a good thing. We do that, don't we? Sometimes we act without thinking. And Paul's saying, look, especially when it comes to spiritual things, stop that. Stop that. Stop treating each other without respect. Stop treating each other with, with anger and bitterness. Set those things aside. When you look at verse 18, it defines it even more. It says, For those that are like this, they are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Paul describes the futile mind as darkened, which means we have a lack of understanding. 
we're blind to the truth and possibilities. It's like we're in this dark room, blind, trying to find the exit. And he's saying, open your eyes. The lights are actually on. You don't have to be blind anymore. And then he says, you're, you're alienated. It means we have a lack of truth. We're alienated from God. It means we are separated from the truth. And we work against the flow and against others instead of with God. And we always feel like we're fighting. That's what it means to be alienated. Or he says you're ignorant, which means you have a lack of wisdom. You don't seek counsel from others. You're not looking for truth to be poured into your life, and you think you always have the right answer. Or your heart's hardened, and you lack perspective, which means I can only see it my way, and I'm unwilling to change. That's a futile mind. That's a weak mind. It's dark, alienated, ignorant, and hardened. And that's the mind Paul says to let go of today. And instead, he says, pick up a mind of love. Pick up a mind of love. What does this mean? This idea, does that mean I just walk around and hug everybody I see? Like, oh, you know, I just want to love you today. Like, I would not last, you know, two hours in this city if that's the way I tried to operate, you know, on the subway or just walking through, you know, wherever. People would be like, okay, that's that guy. I'm on the other side of the street. That's not what he's saying here. It's just this external expression, always happy. I can't ever be angry or anything like that. That's not what it means here. It actually means when you talk about love as Christ love, it talks about a determined action. That's what it means to walk in love, to have a determined action. It's purpose behind what you do. Love as Christ loved. That means Christ set an example. There's something for us to follow, a determined step for us to do. And, and this is what he's saying. Look, Look a little further deeper at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, and it says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And if we look here, we see what a, a heart that loves that has determined action is like. We see first it's humble. It imitates God. It doesn't think that it is always right. It actually says you are. I want to imitate you. It's a humble heart, but it's also an obedient heart. It says like children. That means that we're constantly learning. We're willing to follow. That we understand our role in the relationship that he is the wise one and I'm learning from him. And it also means that we're connected. It says that he does this for us. Is that we're in this together. I'm not isolated from you or you from me that as we are doing and trying to determine our actions, it's a group of us that have a common goal and a common bond together that are walking through this. A lonely Christian, an isolated Christian, is not living the way God intended them to be. He intended for us to hook our lives with other people and connect and to walk through this life with strength. And then he says, also through offering and sacrifice, that we're generous a heart that is open and determined is generous. It says we do this for others. That we're willing to, to do stuff that's not just good for me, but good for all. Good for all mankind. Good and sacrifice. Sometimes I think when we hear that word, we're like, oh, sacrifice. Like church always likes to talk about sacrifice. Like give something up for somebody else. I want you to hear this. Sacrifice doesn't mean always it's got to be bad for you. Sometimes I got to sacrifice what's good for me because what's, what's best for everybody. And I get to be a part of that too. It's not like I got to experience the bad so you can have the good. So maybe I'll give up what I think I just want 
so that as we do this together, we experience this, and that's what generosity is. And so Paul is challenging us here to literally set aside darkness and humbly admit that I don't know it all. He's telling us to set aside alienation for a community of wisdom. He's telling us to set aside ignorance and grasp the power of obedience and knowing that we don't have to know what to do, that we can listen to God and to set aside a hardened mind for a generosity through sacrifice that can impact you and the world. And so this mind, this this climb begins with realizing it all begins in how we think, how we focus. Am I going to have a weak mind, futile thoughts? I'm just going to, whatever comes into mind, I'm going to act on, and then I'll make excuses about it later. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll just tell everybody, that's just the way I am. I'm actually going to take control of my thoughts. I'm actually going to take control and put determined action behind who I am. In the rest of this chapter, Paul literally lays out, and this is how we'll end our time today, of some specific things that we can let go of and now grab a hold of. This is a great, great theory, great ideas of like, all right, I'm going to stop thinking this way and start thinking this way. But Paul gives us some, some very specific ways to do this. Look at verse 22 and 24 of chapter four. And this is the first one. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness in holiness. This is the first step of the climb. Let go of contaminating and grab hold of beautifying. He says you're either corrupt or you're righteous. Your life, he says, let go of going through life corrupting and polluting and contaminating and instead grab hold of bringing life and beauty to this world. One of the things, we have a lot of mission teams that come and serve with us over the summer and one of the things just about every team does is they go out and pick up trash in our on our sidewalks and streets here in Long Island City. We have people doing this almost every week. You'd think Long Island City would have the cleanest streets in the city. But somehow trash multiplies. Like I don't I think somebody has planted some trash seeds around here because literally I walk down a street twenty minutes after it has been cleaned and there are another thousand cigarette butts. There's, you know, trash, there's more dog poop, there's that you know, it's like, where did this stuff come from? And it's because literally I mean literally people make a choice to contaminate our world. They drop trash on the ground, they let trash cans overflow and it blows everywhere. And they're literally making a choice to contaminate versus stopping and beautifying things. Our teams also work in our parks a lot. And what they do in there is often plant things or clear out beds and bring beauty back to an area that's designed to bring beauty. And and as I watched teams this week do that, I thought this is what Paul is telling us to do. He's like, stop dropping your trash in the world and start planting beauty in the world instead. Let go of that. Stop dropping trash in your relationships. Stop dropping trash in your life when things don't go your way. Stop being weak-minded and think, oh, woe is me, why me, and start thinking, what do I do to make the best out of this situation? That's, man, that's being, stop being weak-minded, and that's grabbing on to having determined action, saying stop doing this and step forward. Let go of contaminating and grab hold of beauty. We, we want to look back sometimes. And I, I love when we clean a street and I look back 
and then it just gleams. Like it's, I'm like, I just love that. Doesn't, doesn't beauty a beautiful thing? I mean, that's why we call it beauty. To stare upon beauty. I can, I can sit and stare at the sky or whatever we find beautiful. We just love to gaze at it. And I want you to hear this. When you start letting beauty flow from your life, you know what's going to happen? People are going to start gazing at you. People are going to start staring at you. People are going to start longing for what you have. So let go of contaminating and grab on to beautifying. Look at verse 25. He gives us another one here. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. This is what we got to let go of. Let go of conspiring and grab hold of cooperating together. That's the next step up the ladder. You know, we we have this innate desire that we're when we're away from God to conspire against one another. We have been fooled into thinking that this life is a competition. That it's about who gets to the end with the most. Or who gets to the end and is the most well known or well liked or whatever. We we are competing. We think we're competing with one another, so we conspire against one another. We plan hardships for one another. We try to trip each other up. And this is not the way that God wanted us to live. And so as we work to compare, we want to bring harm instead of good. And we do this in the big environments. We do this like country versus country. But you know what? We also do this in the smallest environments. We do it in friend versus friend, husband versus wife, father, son, mother, daughter. We do it in the intimate of relationships. We say, you know, I want what's good for you, but I want just a little better for me. It's what we want. Like, it's not that I want bad. I don't want really bad things to happen to you. I just want just a touch more for me. And so we conspire to keep others down instead of cooperating together and say, what if we did what was best for us? One of the best things I ever heard taught, especially from a marriage relationship, is to stop saying you and me and start saying us. And I think this is true in any relationship and friendships. Stop saying, is this good for you or is this good for me? Is this good for us? In a church, don't say, is this good for you or is this good for me? Is this good for us? That's what cooperating is. And that's what he's saying. Put away falsehood and instead speak the truth. Don't speak false things about one another to conspire against them. Instead, speak truth to join us together. It's an amazing thought to think about letting go of conspiring with one another and start now grabbing hold of cooperating with each other. What an impact we can make in the world if every one of us in the room were cooperating for one thing, and only one thing, what was best for the kingdom of God. Verse 28 brings us to another one. It says this, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone else. And you may say, well, I'm not a thief. This thing, I don't have to pay attention to this. And, you know, maybe you've never stole, like, something out of a cash drawer or something like that, but you've probably stole something from somebody at some point in your life. And here's what it boils down to is this. He's telling you you got to stop consuming, let go of consuming, and grab hold of producing. Don't, don't walk through this life a consumer. He's saying no longer be a thief. No longer look at something that somebody else has and say, I wish I had that. Why do they get that? And why don't I get it? And we start trying to do things that get it into our lives. Maybe even it brings harm 
to them. We turn this life into a comparison game between what we have and what we lack and what we don't have and what we do want. And comparison always ends with somebody lacking. And so he's saying stop just going through this life consuming things and actually work together to start producing things. He's saying do honest work with your hands. Work together. Create something. Somebody asked me this question one time. They said, what have you actually ever done with what God's given you? And I had to stop and think for a minute. I was like, well, no, no. I, you know, I go to church. I pray. I give. And they said, no, no, no. With what God's given you. The way that God has uniquely shaped you. With your experiences, your passions. What have you done with that? And I... I had to take a hard, deep look inside myself and say, you know what? I don't know that I have. I've been doing things, good things, but what have I created with my own hands through the gifts, talents, and passions that God has given me for his kingdom? It's a question I want to lay before you. What are you, it's not about what you're producing to please God. It's not what we're talking about. Like, I got to do something so that God will love me. It's not what this is saying. It's saying God has given you unique gifts talents, and passions in such a way that as you produce things for him, it brings glory toward to him and points people toward him. People see the glory of God through the works of your hands as you produce them for God. As I look around this room and I see different people that I know well that work in different aspects and in different industries, uh, you know, all around uh, this, this world and all different facets of life, I see the way that God has used them and the work of their hands to impact the kingdom. God calls each of us to do that. He says, stop consuming and start producing. The last one is this. Ephesians 5.29 tells us this. Or 4.29 says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. You know, I think this is the hardest one of all to let go of, and it's this idea of letting go of bickering and grabbing hold of building. I say, I don't, I don't like to bicker. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I mean, some, as soon as something goes wrong in our life, what do we We complain about it, don't we? I mean, I don't care. I, we miss a train, right? Where's Gary Wheeler? He f- took him 47 extra minutes because the G train's running on shuttle today, right? And so when I met, when I met Gary this morning, 47 minutes, you know, I mean, like, we all, we do that all the time. Like, something goes wrong in our lives. Something just trips us up a bit, and we start bickering about it. We start complaining and just laying it on. Oh, my gosh, the air conditioning's not working. Like, yeah, it's not, and that's a horrible thing. But you had six meals today. You know, you ate good today. It's all right. You're going to survive. But we have these moments where we just let this bickering attitude overcome us. And he's, that's what corrupt talk is. It's allowing the words of your mouth to literally just corrupt and tear down and erode at the soil of your joy, your peace, your pleasure, and your hope. Or to use your words to erode the soil of the pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope in other people's lives. We do that with our words all the time. 
I, I, my mom used to say this all the time. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm like, well, stop being sick and tired. Like that's, it's just this perpetuating statement. And we do that all the time. And he says, stop doing that. And instead, use your words to build up and give grace. It literally means to come alongside and pack in reinforcements, to build up, to add to instead of take away. Use your words, let go of bickering and grab hold of building. My question for you today is this. Do you want to climb to a higher perspective? Do you want to see things that higher altitude, the way that God sees them? Today we have an opportunity to do this. And it's literally by setting aside a weak, futile mind and instead grabbing on to a strong, determined mind. Today, will you, as you climb up the rung, will you let contamination go and start beautifying this world? Will you stop conspiring to bring evil, evil to others and instead start cooperating and climb up another rung? Will you stop consuming things just for your own good and instead start producing things that bring lasting joy and hope? And will you stop using your words to bicker and erode things away and instead start using them to fortify and reinforce and build up? And when we do those things, we find that we can see things and understand things in our life the way that God does. All of a sudden, that tragedy, it still hurts, but we see it in a different way. All of a sudden, this unforeseen job loss, it's still a challenge. You still don't know where money's going to come from, but you see it in a different way. All of a sudden, this bad diagnosis, this health issue, it's still there. doesn't mean it's going away. There's, there's a magic cure, but we see it in a different way. Because the truth is, we talk about crossroads at the beginning. We come to many crossroads, but the truth is everybody in here is coming to the same end point. Death comes for all of us in the end. And we we have a chance to, at that moment, be able to look back and realize what we've done. If we've lived life either with a futile mind or a strong, determined mind, we see what we've left behind. If we go through life futile, down at the bottom, not as God sees them, when we look back, you'll arrive at the end of your life alone. You've left destruction and misery and desolation in your wake. But if we climb up, and live out of a higher perspective and have the mind of Christ and the mind of love that he, Paul calls us to. As we look back at the end of our life, we will arrive together with other people. We'll arrive and be able to look back and see the beauty that we have left behind, the things that God has created through us, and see a legacy that will last beyond us. What kind of wake do you want to leave behind? The wake of those that are simple, minded, weak-minded, are those that work a strong, determined path. Let's pray together this morning.